Welcome to episode number 150, Walking in Circles. I'm your host, Damon Soka. This last few weeks have been a little bit difficult. Sometimes our illnesses get the best of us, and they force us to take notice and take care of ourselves. And such was the case with me. I'm not sure that the details matter. No matter how well you manage life, sometimes events and people occur that increase the stress and pressure on your illness. And there's nothing more to do but simply hold on and wait until the moment passes. And such has been the case for me this last couple of weeks. Sometimes all we can do is reduce life as much as possible and allow for our bodies to heal a little. This last couple of weeks actually has caused me to ponder a few things that somehow creep into our consciousness. No matter what we do, no matter how often we do it, no matter how often we prepare, the moment eventually comes when we must recognize that where we are isn't where we would like to be. Somehow, by small deviations, we have found ourselves looking into the future, realizing that the future we see isn't the future that we want. It wasn't any significant change or even a change to our normal patterns. It is as if we have been walking in a forest and find ourselves continuously returning to the same spot. We very much thought that we were walking in a straight line towards our destination. But as we stand back where we started, not only do we feel bewildered, but frustrated. Our intent, desire, and motivation were to reach our destination, the place we had pictured as our happy future. And yet, we stand just a little away from where we started because standing where we started is simply just too painful. Now, did you know that every person placed in a forest where they have no ability to consistently see a marker in the distance will walk in a circle? It is a psychological fact. Not only do they walk in a circle, but the circle tends to be less than a quarter mile, sometimes no more than the size of a football field, 100 yards. But if you ask them, they will firmly decree that they walked in a straight path. When presented with the evidence of their circular path, they will struggle to understand just how it happened. Interestingly enough, if you give them several more chances, they still continue to walk in circles. It is our nature to walk in circles. And I don't believe that this is just a physical problem. Without clear direction and a distant marker from which to gauge our journey, we will find ourselves walking in spiritual circles. The odds of someone navigating themselves from one side of a forested area to the other by themselves is almost impossible. Without some type of long-distance aid, we will perish by degrees. We will walk in circles, fully believing that we are walking to our destination in a direct line. Now, some people simply give up and call the circles straight lines, saying that it was meant to be, or that it's just who I am. It's part of my DNA, so why should I fight it? It can feel pleasing to redefine the path and the direction, but to simply redefine the path or the destination does not provide a solution, nor does it provide for the destination. It only reduces the frustration for a time. What one is really doing is giving up and providing a placebo for the guilt. The reality is, is that we have only walked in a forest. We've gained no ground, and the experience we obtained really doesn't provide that much value. We have then given value to circular paths that in the end have no real value and no real experience and ultimately provide no significant benefit. We have those around us who begin to ask us those doubt-inducing questions. 
Are you sure that the destination exists? Are you sure that wandering in a circle isn't what is supposed to happen? If we are biologically programmed to walk in circles, then that must be what we are meant to do. How do you know that where we are standing isn't the destination? Why don't we just enjoy the forest and all it has to offer rather than trying to find this destination? Have you ever seen the destination? How do you know it exists? And those doubts flow with greater strength each time we attempt to walk into the forest and end up walking in another circle. We can begin to wonder why we ever even tried to walk in a straight line. Sometimes we just accept our current destination as our final one. However, we do feel that ultimate destination. We feel it because we have been there. We know what it feels like and looks like, even if we fully can't remember the physical elements. We know that a path exists because we were taught not only that it does, but how to navigate it in the pre-mortal worlds. Before we were born, we were given something similar to a salmon or a Canadian goose or a whale. We were given a homing beacon of sorts. Now, each of those animals and, host, and a host of others has placed into their subconsciousness a scent, a magnetic pattern, a beacon calling them. They don't necessarily know where the end of the journey is, and the path is certainly obscured. But as they hone in on this internal beacon, they wing flap by wing flap, tail flip by tail flip, navigate endless oceans and distant skies, and they arrive at their destination. We need beacons. We need a guide. Someone who can see that destination and provide the necessary direction, even if that direction is only a feeling. Now, in order to do this, we must let go of our rational direction and biological circular drive, what might be turned in, termed in many senses the natural man. We must be cautious about who we allow to describe and teach us about our personal path. If you want to get out of circular patterns, you don't talk to an expert in circular patterns. You also don't listen to individuals who tell you the circular path is actually straight. The blessing and the curse of this world is really the same. People are the most important part of the journey, and at the same time, they are the most detrimental. The main problem is that they are in the same forest, at the same elevation, and have the same circular problem in the sense of a destination. So while they might be valuable to walk beside you and help to lift you once in a while, they're still going to walk in circles. So what does this mean in reality? So physically, I walk in circles. What does that have to do with anything? The problem is not walking in circles or our DNA. The problem is that circle walking is more deeply ingrained into our souls than we realize. Psychologically, we do the same type of thing. We walk in circles. We think in circular patterns, and our DNA has sufficient influence in our lives. Why is depression, anxiety, bipolar so hard? because it accentuates these circles in our lives. Those circles come out of habits. And habits, in the sense of mental illness, come out of grassroots coping mechanisms that are often short-term. Short-term is important, but too high of an emphasis, and we walk in circles. Too far, far too often, we simply continue to use methods of treatment, or what might be termed self-medication, in harmful ways. Certainly, relieving pain and suffering in the moment is important. But to do so in a manner that leads to circling in the forest may provide a temporary benefit, but more long-term suffering. Our illness also tends to isolate us from the one real beacon we need, which is the Savior. 
To walk in circles physically is one thing. To do so spiritually is entirely another. Many of us struggle with the spiritual as we navigate the physical ramifications of our illness. It can feel pleasing in some ways to remove oneself from the fray, from the stress of a spiritual community of imperfect saints. I personally have felt so many times. I have felt better when removing myself from a social situation, and yes, sometimes even a sacrament meeting. I have many times needed to remove myself from meetings and events because my illness simply could not handle it. It can become easy to associate our illness with gospel events. Social events, by their very nature, will cause someone suffering an increase in stress, and that increase will likely cause the illness to intensify. So it is no wonder that many people associate church, from our sacraments to our socials, as problematic to their illness. Many upon many then slowly drift from activity, not because the church is not true to them, not because the people are imperfect, and not even because they are not spiritual people, simply because the church stresses, stresses cause an increase in their illness symptoms. If the majority of time you attend church, you find that your depression symptoms worsen, and worse yet, your anxiety increasingly pushes you to fight or flight mode, then you are likely to avoid activity. Now, while I personally don't consider these individuals inactive or less active, currently the church's method for activity does not include exceptions for mental illness. Now, I realize the difficulty of providing for exceptions, but that doesn't diminish the hurt one feels as being labeled less active. The problem is certainly not the gospel or its message, although the men are that they might be, well, although men are that they might have joy, can be difficult to understand during an anxiety-laden or depressive episode. It is that we have associated our illness, illnesses increase in severity with church attendance or other types of attendance, and that just happens to be one of the main indicators of activity. Once labeled less active, we can certainly begin to believe that we do not belong, and that can lead to all types of pathways that all of them lead in circular paths. We often see church membership and discipleship as one path. We all must adhere to the rigid requirements or be left behind. Most often, activity or attendance of meetings is the indicator of our discipleship, and it is certainly the one that everyone keys into because it's easy. I think for myself, this has always caused me some concern from the perspective of my illness. That indicator for most individuals might work, but for mental illness, it cannot be the indicator of spiritual life or even of activity. We who suffer need to avoid the spiritual trap of seeing our inability to attend church meetings or activities as some type of spiritual weakness. It is akin to saying that any pioneer who didn't make it to the Salt Lake Valley on their journey west just doesn't get to enter into the celestial kingdom. And we all know that is ridiculous, but the sentiment is the same. So what do we do? who are suffering from mental illness and become or are working towards the current definition of less active. We ignore it and we do our best. That is not an easy task when the horde of leadership sees that we have, a, that we have not attended our meetings or have attended our meetings only sparingly over the last months or years. Yes, we will be looked over for callings. Yes, we will have people asking why we are less active regularly. No, they won't understand our difficulties. No one can who has not experienced it. 
we will likely be isolated to less active realms of the gospel. Is it frustrating? Only from the perspective of current church culture. The Lord knows what is real and what is happening in our lives, and he does not see us this way, even though we may be defined this way. The church may label you less active because of your illness, but the Lord never will. This doesn't mean that we give up entirely and become entirely less active. We do our best to attend when the illness allows, and this might even mean pushing ourselves a little beyond our boundaries. We need the sacrament. We need covenants of the gospel. We need the power found in the atonement. We need revelation and guidance. So we do what we can to be faithful to those covenants, and we leave the rest to the Lord. We don't feel guilty for missing church even when our family tries to push us beyond our boundaries. Now, I could write a whole podcast on that issue alone. I certainly love my family and my family in the past and love that they care, but sometimes love crosses over into unrighteous dominion. And unfortunately, within church membership, this is all too common, especially when it comes to our children. I don't place blame upon the church membership as ignorance, while not an excuse, is certainly the issue. What we simply need to do is to heed the Savior's call to mercy rather than judgment. Our calling to the fiery furnace of affliction will cause us deep sorrow, pain, and suffering. And some of that suffering will come from those who love us the most. And we need to accept that and be forgiving. We were once ignorant too, and to judge someone's ignorance harshly is a statement of our own lacking character. So in the end, we hold on. We do our best. Forgive those who are ignorant, and even those who are not. We listen to the Lord. Attend meetings to the extent that we can even if that means the foyer, and we pray for miracles to occur. And miracles will occur, because the Lord never gives a difficult trial unless he provides for miracles. May the Lord bless you and help you to see through the difficult, darkened mists of mortality. And one day, we will meet together in a celestial life. Grateful we have passed through the valley of death and come through on the other side. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.